Good morning. It's nice to be back here for a morning, for a change. Be a bit in and out. Now, I wonder if some of us more mature ones recognize or remember an old song, Walk a Mile in My Shoes. Sounds a bit ouchy, doesn't it? Someone else's shoes. Maybe those real high ones or something like that. What about Walk a Mile in My Bare Feet? Oh, earlier this year, Hayley Holt, um, she's a dancer, snowboarder, well-known TV personality. She walked around barefoot for a whole day for a good cause. She went barefoot for 24 hours for the One Day Without Shoes Global Initiative. And that was highlighting the situation for up to 40% of the world's population that don't own a pair of shoes. So all you people who have 20 pairs of shoes, 40% of the world don't have a pair of shoes. And a lot of them are young children who have to walk for long distances over rough ground to get to school or to collect water for their families. Walk a mile in my shoes or walk around for a day with bare feet is about feeling what it's like for other people, disadvantaged people, and maybe doing something about it. Now this year we've been hearing about reaching out and some of the challenges are along the lines of what can I do to help? How can I live to give? Am I going the second mile? Am I excelling in generosity? In a nutshell, does my life show what Jesus is like? Now we could spend hours talking about what Jesus is like. But if we were going to pick one word, I mean there'd be lots of words, but one word that covers the great sacrifice that he made for our salvation or the way that he healed the sick, raised the dead, fed the 5,000 and all of that. One word could be compassion. He is a God of compassion. 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. James 5 and verse 1. The end of that verse says, The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And of course, he wants us to grow, to become more and more like him. So he wants us also to be full of compassion and mercy. Well, the first thing that we need in our quest for compassion is a bit of self-awareness. How are we doing? Where are we at? Where are we falling short? We need to have a look at ourselves and compare ourselves, not to other people, to the yardstick of God's word. Comparing ourselves to others, there's no point in that because it never works and we're all so different and God has such a different plan for us all. And anyway, we don't see what most people do and they don't see what, we don't see most of it and they don't see what we do. But self-awareness just comes um, sometimes as we listen to what other people are saying. You know, people close to us, family members, do people say things like, you're not listening. You don't seem to hear what I say. You don't get it. You don't understand. Some, some of the women are laughing. It's like you're not there when I talk to you. 
That's how self-awareness comes if we take notice of what we're hearing. Feedback can also come in situations that we find ourselves in. I read about a very well-known Christian leader who just got a total shock one day to find how stressed out he was and how lacking in compassion he was because of the stress when he got really, really angry and impatient at being held up by a disabled person who was going through a doorway and struggling to get through the doorway ahead of him. And he just lost the plot. So what does compassion look like? Well, one definition is the feeling that arises when we're confronted with another person's suffering and we feel motivated to relieve their suffering. And that's a good definition. But if we want to measure up to God's standard, we've got to know how he sees it. And I've got this little list of some of the acts of compassion that we see in the Bible. And this tells us two things. It tells us the kind of compassion that we should have towards other people, but also it tells us God's heart towards us. So compassion in the Bible is restoring something that's been lost or damaged, usually a relationship, relationship with God, but it may be a material thing as well. Forgiving sin, that's a biggie, that's huge a very important part of compassion, both on God's part and on our part. Staying faithful to the faithless. And that is so God, isn't it? Teaching spiritual truths. And if you think about it, the most compassionate thing that we can do is to share the gospel with somebody. Healing the oppressed, helping rather the oppressed and vulnerable, particularly widows and orphans, and in my mind, solo parents and their children come under that category, they're in the same boat. Foreigners and the poor, helping those people. Cancelling a debt that is owed if the person can't possibly repay it. Meeting physical needs such as food and shelter. 1 John 3 and verse 17 says, If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Jesus showed us exactly what God is like. We see God's compassion when Jesus saw his friends weeping at the grave of Lazarus, and he wept with them. We see it when he healed crowds and individuals because he had compassion for their suffering. The Jewish religious leaders looked down on the common people, but we see God's heart in the way that Jesus loved them. And he saw them as sheep without a shepherd, and out of compassion he fed them. In other words, he taught them the truths that the false shepherds of Israel neglected to tell them about. Now one thing that's obvious here is that if we're going to have compassion, we're going to have to be able to somehow meet the need. Jesus used his divine power to feed the 5,000 and to heal the sick. The Good Samaritan used his own money to help the man who'd been beaten up and left lying on the side of the road. We can draw on God's resources to help others. That may be healing power through prayer. It may be God's grace to forgive a terrible wrong. It may be giving of finances through God's provision to us through our job or whatever. 
So we need faith, we need generosity, and we need God's grace in order to show biblical compassion. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. We also need to be willing to make sacrifices. Jesus walked way more than a mile in our shoes. He walked all the way to the cross of Calvary for our salvation and forgiveness and eternal life. Now, some of you may have heard of the Moravians. They had that great revival in the 17th century, and, of course, they're famous for their 100-year continuous 24-7 pre-meeting and also their heart for missions, for getting the gospel out. And some of them became concerned for African slaves in the West Indies. But it just seemed so impossible to reach these slaves because they were very isolated and separated as a group. And so two young Moravian men offered themselves, this is quite unbelievable, to actually be sold as slaves and to go and toil among these African slaves and to suffer with them on the plantation so that they could share the gospel with them. And sometimes the story goes that these two, two men did sell themselves and went off to the West Indies and were never seen again. But that actually isn't quite true. Apparently the real story is that though they were willing, as white men, they were not allowed to work among slaves. But eventually they got to the West Indies where they worked and lived very frugally and they managed to preach to those slaves and they began a work which led to thousands of slaves being converted and many churches being planted. You know, they had such compassion that they were willing to walk in very uncomfortably painful shoes or bare feet of slaves. And though they weren't actually permitted to do that, they still made a huge sacrifice to get the message of salvation out to those African slaves. Over 200 years ago, a man called John Woolman, who was a Christian business, businessman and preacher, and one of the first men to work towards the abolition of slavery in America, actually walked barefoot from Baltimore to Philadelphia, and I had great trouble trying to find out how far that is and couldn't really get it at all, but I think, I think, it's about 170 k's, I think. He walked barefoot for that whole distance, and he did that so that he could feel some of the pain that the black slaves felt when they were forced to walk barefoot over these long distances. John Woolman had both empathy and compassion. He felt the pain of slaves, and he spent a lot of time and effort working to set them free. Now, obviously, some personalities tend more towards compassion than others, and there are certain people, like psychopaths or people who have an antisocial disorder, who don't have much or maybe don't have any capacity for compassion. But for most people, it's something that we learn and develop. We're not born with it, but we're made in the image of a compassionate God. And as we, as we obey God, as we obey his word, as we cooperate with him, we can grow to become more like him.
compassion and empathy often go together. Now, empathy is the ability to basically step inside someone else's skin or someone else's shoes and understand how they feel. Compassion takes it like a step further and not only understands but wants to do something to help. Now, that's not saying that we should aim for compassion and forget about empathy because compassion starts with empathy. And there are many problems, many situations in life that we can't do much about or can't do anything about, many things that we can't fix. For example, if someone has lost a loved one, I mean, yes, there are practical things that we can do, but we can't fix the problem. We can't bring their loved one back. But just to be there and to show empathy is very loving and very supportive and often very much appreciated. So how are we going to grow in this area of compassion? Well, we've looked at, you know, the fact that we need to know where we are, we've got to see what we're aiming for, and then we have to make an effort to bridge the gap. Colossians 3 and verse 12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe, clothe yourselves with compassion, or some versions say, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So the Bible says that we have to clothe ourselves with compassion or put on compassion, like getting dressed. And I wonder if any of you, any of you have ever got out of the shower and your clothes just put themselves on you. No, it doesn't happen. Now, wouldn't that be a bonus? Wouldn't that be a bonus for disabled people if their clothes just put themselves on or those people who just muck around forever and can't decide what they want to wear. Wouldn't that be a bonus for us mothers and nanas, you know, with, with our babies, when we get them out of the bath and they're so hard to get dressed? Our little Emma is such a little wiggle worm, I always think it's like trying, trying to get an octopus dressed. <laughs> but, you know, it doesn't happen. We have to put our own clothes on. We have to dress our own baby. And this requires making good choices and taking decisive action. But actually it's a good thing that we have to put compassion on because that means if we're lacking, we can improve. And so can our uncompassionate husband or wife or child or workmate or friend. There is hope. They can get it. We can get it. Now, I'm not talking about making someone else our self-improvement project. I'm actually 100% opposed to that. We can only change ourselves. But as we change, our relationships with others will get better. And as we become more compassionate, we will also become more understanding. We communicate better. Our attitudes change. Research has shown that compassion, compassion helps people to, to become better husbands or wives, more caring parents, better and more supportive friends, less vindictive towards others, and generally to feel better and happier. And so it's all good. But above all that, we are also growing in godliness and obeying God's commands. 
Now, putting on compassion means forgiving others. And as I said, this is a biggie. Ephesians 4 and verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So important. I'm reading a book at the moment about some Muslims that God has touched. And wow, reading of some of the dreadful backgrounds that some of them went through has actually given me a much more compassionate view of Muslims. And that is actually another point, that books and other material about people's lives can help us to develop compassion and empathy for people who are different. And there's apparently an online empathy library um, empathylibrary.com and apparently there are great novels non-fiction books, children's books DVDs and clips all geared towards developing empathy and compassion but back to this book one young ex-Muslim man um, this is in the States, he was from Turkey tells how one day he found his Christian roommate sitting on his bed crying and the Christian told him that his sister's boyfriend had raped her and he just felt like he wanted to go and shoot him. But he'd been praying all morning and was finally able to forgive him and pray for his salvation. Now this Muslim man was full of hatred and bitterness and anger, but God had been on his case for some time. And when he saw his friend's compassion and forgiveness in this situation, he felt deeply convicted. And his friend must have seen it. And he said to him, are you ready to meet Jesus? He was. And they prayed. And his life was radically changed. He said, when I opened my eyes, I felt like a new person. And he looked around and everything looked so bright. He actually asked his roommate if he'd painted the room. And today, that man is back in Turkey where he came from, and he's founded Turkish Revival Ministries. He's a pastor. He has oversight of a number of churches, Bible schools, television and media ministries, and for 16 years he's been getting Muslim people saved, and God confirms his word with signs, wonders, and miracles. But the point that I want to get across is that the final link in the chain of that young man's salvation was seeing his friend's compassion and forgiveness. It just touched him so much. Jesus paid the ultimate price for our forgiveness, and that means that for us, compassion also includes forgiving others, however badly they've hurt us. And you know, we know that that's not easy. I know that, we all know that, but we can do it because Jesus has walked in our shoes. And yes, we still have to grieve our losses, and we know that for really big issues, forgiveness is going to be a process, very much like grief, but the end result is to let the offender off the hook, fully, freely, graciously, like Jesus has done for us. Now, another plus of forgiveness is that it enables us or some people to turn personal suffering into compassion for others. A woman called Kim, a Christian woman, suffered a terrible tragedy when her 17-year-old daughter, and this was her only child, 17-year-old daughter was brutally murdered. 
It was a year before the case actually came to a trial and eventually the hostile and angry 17-year-old killer was sentenced to 38 years in prison with no parole. At the sentencing, Kim faced him and told him that she was very hurt but not angry. She said she had compassion for him and hoped that one day he would somehow find a way to turn his life around. She also said that she was praying for him. And Kim said later, when I walked away from the courthouse, I knew that God had given us both the gift of forgiveness. I was able to forgive that young man who murdered my daughter, not because he asked me to, but because it was what God wanted for both of us. And today, Kim has used her pain as a motivation to reach out and to get involved, and this is amazing, in prison fellowship, in pre-release programs in several prisons, in a parenting program and personal development program, a victim sensitivity program, these are all in prisons, and she mediates minor offences. Think, how, how does she do all that? But that godly response to an extremely tragic experience just shows how we can use trials to develop compassion for others. And forgiveness is a real key to that kind of thing. If, if people don't forgive, we could never do that kind of thing. Moving on, if we're going to grow in compassion, we need to deal with anger. Now, immediately before these words in Ephesians, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, it says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. Anger and compassion don't mix. And so we've got to deal with our anger. Now, there are people who think that if we get really angry and you know, really let rip at someone, give them a real ear bashing, maybe whack them a bit as well, it's going to do them good. They really think it's going to sort them out and make them a nicer and a better person. But that is so wrong. James 1 and verse 20 says, Man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Some parents sincerely believe they can sort their kids out that way. And maybe their motives are good and they think it's going to make their kids good and obedient and godly. It won't. It'll make them scared of their parents. It will damage them emotionally, maybe physically. It will leave them with a huge reservoir of anger in their lives. Discipline is important, but not that raging, angry kind of discipline. Another thing that will help us to be more compassionate is to see people as individuals. You know, if you... Um, support something like Christian Blind Mission, Tear Fund, Fred Hollows, World Vision, anything like that, you will know that when you get those brochures or those emails or however you get it, they don't just give you all the facts and figures. They give you people's stories. You see pictures of individuals, stories, stories of individuals, because they know that it's a lot easier to have compassion if you see a story about an individual, if you can identify an individual. And for us too, when we think about, you know, the starving millions or all these refugees or, you know, all the people who are, stuff, are suffering, think about one child. Think about one mother 
or one father or one family. Don't just think about a whole group. Try and think about individuals. Now, it also helps us to have compassion when we're thinking of strangers or people of different races, different beliefs. If we try and focus on the things we have in common rather than the differences. You know, do they have children? Well, they want to be good parents, just like we do. They want to help their children. They want their children to do well. They want to have jobs. They want to make a living. They've been through hard times and pain, just like we have, and just try and concentrate on the things that we have in common. We cultivate compassion in children by modeling kindness. If you support World Vision, help them to get involved in that. Don't play the blame game. If we blame people for the situations that they're in, for their own misfortune and that, it kind of cancels out feelings of compassion and concern. And another biggie, if we want to grow in compassion, it's very important that we try and work on understanding people, where they come from, why they are the way we are, that they are, and why they do the things that they do. John 7 and verse 24, Jesus was speaking to the Jews, and he said, stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. You know, back to our little theme song at the beginning, walk a mile in my shoes. The next line is, before you abuse, criticize and accuse, walk a mile in my shoes. A well-known writer, Stephen Covey, talks about a time that he was on a train and then the train stopped and a man and his children boarded the train and the children were so badly behaved and they were annoying all the other passengers, they were annoying him. But then he found out that the man's wife and the children's mother had just died and this family were on their way home from the hospital where the wife and the mother had died and his whole attitude instantly and utterly changed because he understood. Just makes such a difference. Our goal is to have the compassion of Jesus. Isaiah says this about him, he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy, with justice he will give decisions to the poor of the earth. And I just want to um, tell you a little story here that some of you have definitely heard before, um, but some of you haven't. And I just, I know, I just think it bears repeating because it sort of gives us a behind-the-scenes look of how God sees us. Now, in the book *The Final Quest*, Rick Joyner writes about visions of heaven. That's what most of it's about. And in one of these visions, he was in heaven, and he met this amazing king sitting on a glorious throne. And he vaguely recognized this king from another vision that he'd had years earlier. And in this earlier vision, there were two men. One man loved people. He was zealously serving God, witnessing, teaching, and praying for the sick. The second man was a homeless tramp. And a little kitten wandered into his path, and he went to kick it. 
but he restrained himself and instead he shoved it away quite roughly with his foot. And Jesus said to him, which of, which of those two men pleased me the most? Well, with no hesitation, Rick Joyner said the first. And the Lord said, no, the second. And then he explained. He said, the first man was raised in a wonderful Christian home. He grew up in a thriving church and he went to one of the best Bible colleges. He had been given 100 portions of God's love and he was only using 75 of them. Angelo, the second man, was born deaf. He was abused and he was kept in a cold, dark attic until he was eight years old and then he was found by the authorities and then he went from one institution to another and the abuse continued. Finally, he was turned out on the streets. To overcome all of this, the Lord had given him only three portions of his love. And in that incident with the kitten, he had used all of that to fight the rage in his heart and to stop himself from hurting the kitten. Angelo was so faithful with the little he'd been given that the Lord gave him three more portions of his love. He used that to stop stealing. He nearly starved, but he refused to take anything that wasn't his. He bought food with money that he made from collecting bottles and occasionally finding someone who let him do some gardening and paid him for it. Though he was deaf, he could read, so the Lord sent him a gospel tract. As he read it, the Spirit opened his heart and he gave his life to the Lord. God doubled the portions of his love, and Angelo faithfully used them all. Even though he lived with such extreme poverty, he started spending half of everything he made to buy gospel tracts to give out on street corners. Now at that point, it dawned on Rick Joyner that this great king in heaven was actually Angelo. So he asked Jesus how many people he got saved because he was thinking it must have been multitudes for him to be sitting there with the kings. The Lord said, one. He said, I let him need a dying alcoholic to me to encourage him. And he was so encouraged he would have stood there on that corner for many more years but all heaven was begging him, begging me to bring him here, and I also wanted him to get his reward. Angelo hadn't done great things in the eyes of the world, and he hadn't done great things in the eyes of the church, but he had done great things in the eyes of God, who sees things very differently. Now, one of the most important ways that we get understanding is by listening. Not the half-fair kind of listening, but fully present, hard work, reflective listening. Just think of a mirror. You know, reflective listening is about reflecting or mirroring back to the speaker the feelings or the content of what they're saying. It's not about judging or fixing or analyzing or anything like that. It's just reflecting back. And when we do this well, we convey empathy and understanding. Ian Grant calls it holding the floor. You know, one person's holding the floor, they're speaking, and then the other person sort of paraphrases, not parroting, but paraphrases 
back what they're saying, and their only agenda is to understand the other person. James 1 and verse 19, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. James says we should be quick to listen and slow to speak. And when you go home, have a look in the mirror and you will see that you've got one mouth and two ears. And there's got to be something in that. Now, in his book, The Emotionally Healthy Church, Peter Scazzaro writes about his church. He was a senior pastor, and his leadership in that church was so bad that his wife left. She didn't leave him. She left the church and went to another church until things came right. That would be a wake-up call, wouldn't it? So things had to change, and one of the most important changes that he made was to get someone in to teach the whole church how to listen well with reflective listening. And Peter Scazzaro said that the first time he and his wife actually managed to do it properly, when they'd finished, they just stared at each other. They couldn't believe it, and he said, never have we felt so loved and so valued by one another. One expert says this, being heard, that's being listened to properly, is so close to being loved that the average person can't tell the difference. Now, there's heaps of material about reflective listening on the internet and the library and all that. Ian Grant, along with other marriage and relationship experts, recommends it, and it's certainly worth looking into. God is very kind and compassionate towards us. He wants us to be kind and compassionate towards others. Family members, you know, life group, husbands, wives, children, workmates, neighbours, friends, enemies, everyone. And the Bible tells us that we can put it on by making right choices and by making a determined effort to be kind and caring in the situations that God brings across our paths to listen with empathy, to understand, to forgive, to take someone a food parcel, just to do whatever we can to meet the genuine needs that confront us. Now, of course, it's not always going to be convenient, but where would we be if Jesus hadn't majorly inconvenienced himself to walk in our shoes? Now, we are his body on this earth, And he has left us some very, very big shoes to fill. And we can only do it by his grace and by learning to walk as he walked. That's it. Thank you.